So our next guest is Dan Lister. We're lucky, lucky to have him. We flew him all the way from over there. And he is a really good resource and huge depths of knowledge when it comes to internet leads, internet departments, communication. He's gonna go over how to best communicate with your customer and how not to get screwed by that person who wants to give you money, right? So put your hands together. Let's get Dan Lesky up here. Hello everyone and bear with me while I figure this out because I am not a stupid. I am a normal guy. Uh, we're good. <laughs> we'll figure it out. You're dressing yourself wrong. I'm just lucky I dressed myself today. There you go. Damn, let's get everybody. Hello. Uh, yeah, that, that was amazing. So let's uh, be very, very clear. First and foremost, every single person in this room knows more than me about selling cars. Okay, I am not going to talk at all about selling cars. You guys are all way better than me. Um, here, here's what I have done, though. Let's, all right, so I might, I might be doing some scrolling, apparently. This clicker is not... Uh, it's giving me half screens, that's okay. So l let's learn a little bit about me. Why, why should you even care about me? Because I can't teach you how to sell cars. Uh, well, so I'm, I'm just a normal guy, let's be clear. I'm not about the sizzle, I am about the steak. I am not about social skills, I am about process and teaching you how to make money and stuff like that. So, so that's, uh, that's what I'm gonna bring to the table today. I'm gonna teach you how to not suck. I'm not just gonna say we suck, I'm, I'm gonna teach you how to not suck. So, um, you know, just, just to understand a bit about me, my credibility, my belief system, stuff like that. I'm a super small town boy. If anyone's heard of King Cardin, uh, that is where I'm from. It is about 5,000 people max. All that means is reputation is everything to me. Ep reputation should be everything to everyone in this room because we're in a very small industry. Uh, 15 years selling digitally. So that, that's really my value here. Yeah, I'm, again, not going to teach you how to sell cars. I can teach anyone in this room how to sell anything digitally. It doesn't matter whether it's toilet paper or battleships or cars or software or whatever. Sales is sales. And anyone who says sales is an art uh, probably doesn't understand the process of sales. Because it doesn't matter what we're selling. We're uh, identifying addressable markets. We're understanding ideal client profiles. We're uncovering pain. We are understanding triggers in every different stage of the buying process. We're capitalizing on those triggers. We're uh, solving uncertainty. You know, these are, these are all the same fundamentals. It doesn't matter what industry we're in. Um, so uh, again, wh why listen to me? Well, I've been an inside sales leader at about six hyper growth companies so far. All hyper growth means is that we grow our sales by about 300% year over year. Uh, we're not talking little bits of percent. We're not in industries that are in decline. Everything that I do is focused on growth. There's a lot of efficiency being thrown around in the auto industry right now. Everyone's like, oh my God, it's so hard to sell cars. There's so much competition. There's, you know, everyone's price shopping. Well, there's actually been a record number of cars sold. So someone, someone's selling cars. It's the people that are very, very good at digital. Of course I just accidentally hit a button there. Um, 
Anyway, so uh, my, my personal mission, you know, why am I here? I ain't here to sell anything. I am here to help because this mission right here, improving the quality of life for salespeople everywhere. Um, there, there's so many salespeople in North America and they're so affected. Their quality of life is always going up and down based on their performance, right? And it's ridiculous when we look at how much money companies will spend to select and hire and recruit people. And then they spend less than 5% of that on training them and then they watch as half their sales reps turn over in 12 months. It's, it's, it's like throwing money uh, into a black hole. And then finally, on a, on a personal note, uh, you know, uh, just about me, I like the four elements, hockey, soccer, trees, water. Um, and then this right here, th this is really what drives me, okay? Uh, John hit it best, you know, when he was talking about what we're all up against as salespeople, and down here we had automotive salespeople as the least trustworthy. Spoiler alert, it's not just automotive salespeople. Any sales, the second we say sales, the number one objection we're all facing, and nobody says it to our face, is, well, you'd say anything to me, you're trying to get my money. It's a subconscious objection. So it's every salesperson out there, not just all sales, and that's why I really think this is the mentality that we all need to adopt. We're all out there trying to sell cars right now. Selling cars doesn't sell cars in 2019. Saying, I'm not here to sell you a car, I'm just here to help you with your online research. Any way I can get you in the showroom, that sells cars in 2019. So let's talk about that. Um, where, do, where do I got this knowledge from? Uh, I don't think I'm smarter than anyone, I promise. Uh, but I'm in kind of an unfair position where I get to listen to about 760 Canadian dealers tell me what really works and what doesn't work for taking people from online leads into the showroom. Uh, I work for a company that provides a full suite of digital retail tools, so all these different types of ways to get leads from your client and solve uncertainty from clients. Uh, I work with all OEMs and all web providers, so I see the entire range of you know, brand issues and stuff like that. Uh, we turn online researchers into uh, quality leads that stand in the showroom, so that's literally my, my life is helping dealers go digital. Uh, and then finally, my role, uh, even though it says sales, my role is actually helping the dealers to change their processes because we have this product where the, the sale is the easiest part of it. It's changing dealers' behavior and updating how they actually connect with their customers and bring leads into the showroom that is the difficult part. So uh, I am uh, very sorry to bore you with all that detail, but I wanted you guys to all know exactly why someone who's never sold a car in his life can probably actually teach you something about selling cars right now. Um, and I wanted to own that fact. So, so what's in this for you? I promise. Uh, using all these best practices, we are going to double the amount of web, uh, sorry, appointments that you have standing in the showroom from your web leads. Benefit number one. Benefit number two, I'm gonna challenge your mindset on growth and accountability. There's a lot of focus on saving money right now, making money, I don't know if you guys are aware, dollar's a dollar. So uh, tactics, resources that actually work in the real world right now. So I'm passionate about the sales and you're gonna see a whole lot of candy in the form of real resources that I can send to you guys after this, whether it's scripts, uh, PDFs, you know, assessment tools, checklists, whatever it is. I got all the candy in the world, but we're talking about stuff that works right now, not concepts. And finally, if none of that is interesting to you, I promise I'll eventually shut up. So just, it's, it's all good. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm a real person. Uh, who's seen the movie Moneyball? Quick show of hands. Best friggin' movie. Uh, here's the summary. Brad Pitt uses analytics to win baseball games. Um, 
Yeah, spoiler. Hey, listen, if you haven't seen it right now, you're, you're in a cave. Um, so let's talk about some lessons from Billy Bean. Now, Billy Bean was, he, he was not just a doer, he was a coach. Uh, he, he could do it, and because he could do it, he understood the context of those numbers. And that's really important. We're going to talk about science and process and stuff like that, but understanding your numbers without the context of numbers is, is useless, and it creates this fight between sales and marketing where marketing goes, hey, I generated you a ton of leads, and then what does sales say? They suck. Oh, those leads suck. Give me more leads. Marketing's reply, what did you do with the leads that I sent you? So, um, the, first, the first lesson. Um, let's talk about the, the culture of winning teams. Uh, and, and sorry, you know what? Credibility of, of Billy here. Why does he matter? He put a team that cost about $40 million up against a team that cost $290 million and was able to basically do the same thing. So we talk about efficiency and making money. That's what, that's what we're trying to drive with this culture. So there's five key scenes in this that I really think everyone should know about how to drive this culture at your dealerships. And, and first is hiring and grooming talent. There's this scene where Billy goes into a competing GM's office to trade and he is one on 10. And it's a bunch of old people in the room. You got the old guard, you know exactly what it's like in the car dealership, all those old people who are resisting digital, blah, blah, blah. And they're talking about trades, everyone's yammering on, and uh, the opposing GM really pays attention to this one junior guy, he's played by Jonah Hill, and uh, the whole room shuts up and they listen to this uh, Yale economics grad that everyone's like, why are we listening to him? And Billy saw that and was like, that's something special. And he recruits him and he brings him into his team. And that's not where he stops, then he actually grooms him. At that time, nobody was giving an assistant manager job to a little, economist like that and certainly nobody was tasking him with the ability to actually trade players and stuff like that but that's what he did and that assistant GM turned into one of his most crucial hires so hiring and grooming talent we're gonna talk about that as we go on here uh, focus on real problems there's one scene where he's talking with all the head scouts and they're talking about the classic things that you need to understand in baseball Getting that classic swing, I think, was thrown out there. Uh, they talked about uh, the prospect's girlfriend's social lives and stuff like that as a, as a method to select people. It's ridiculous. We've got to focus on the real problems. We're going to get into that. Um, but, but a real problem was on base percentage for them. That's a, that's a real problem. It's a real stat. We're going to talk about what that real stat is for the auto industry. Spoiler alert, people in the dealership. Um, uh, so challenge the status quo. After... Billy has the meeting with all his um, scouts and analysts to tell them uh, it, exactly how old school they're thinking. The coach and the head scout, let me know if you have any sales reps like this, come to him and say, man, this is not the way that we've always done things. You are not letting me do my job. You are cutting my grass. We've all heard this before from the, from the resistors, right? The detractors that feel like they're gonna lose if our dealership goes in digital, right? But this is a paradigm shift we can't ignore. So what, what moves the needle? Remember this real problem? What moved the needle was on-base percentage, OBP. Okay, and everyone else was focused on the wrong stat. They were focused on the old stat. They were focused on runs, 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 runs. What comes before the runs? Getting on base. And what's more predictable than smacking a home run out of the park? Just getting on one base, just one. Okay, and so that's what he was able to do in order to just make daily bread every day. He had nothing and just on base, on base, on base, on base, on base, into infinium championship. Finally, leaders don't take credit. 
So uh, the, the coach that was super pissed off at him the whole time was like, Billy, you are not giving me the ability to run this team well. The, you know, the coach literally tells him, I'm not going to do this. And Billy's like, you do it or you're fired. Because that's, that's how management works sometimes when you got resistors. Um, but then the media goes, wow, look at this team. They're in the championship. They got no money. Holy crap. And you know who the media is uh, media credit with? The coach. Man, this coach turned this team around. Like, he's got nobody for players, right? It was all Billy. Did he get pissed off? No, absolutely not. Did he say anything? No. He was just focused on winning. Okay, so, so leadership lessons. And then the final one here, this is probably the most important one, because everyone's felt, felt growing pains in the dealership. You start to do something, starts to catch fire, and then you get some momentum. And then you hit cruise control, and it's like, holy shit, yeah, we're all making good money, customers are loving us, blah, blah, blah. And then we run into growing pains. We hit cruise control. The results start to go like that. And what Billy does, he starts sending the assistant manager. He sends the assistant manager because he doesn't want to, you know, fraternize with the guys too much. He might trade them. Well, sending the assistant manager does a piss-poor job of fixing that problem. And the only thing that fixed it was the GM getting out of his you know, ivory tower, getting down on the ground floor and explaining the vision to people, explaining why you matter. Even if you're $400,000 a year, even if you're the lot car washer, even if you used to be a superstar and you're not anymore, you got to understand how they fit into the vision. Um, so those are some uh, leadership lessons. And I think that those lessons, I, I realize it's easy to say. So, so how do we actually take the concrete stuff back and put it in with our dealership? Well, I'm going to throw a guess right now, and it's a pretty educated guess that most dealerships, sorry, uh, have a culture that looks like this. And here's how you know. Does 80% of your revenue come from the top 20% of your people? Would you be screwed if they leave? When you try to make a change, they say, that's not the way we've done it here, so no, and then you're kind of victim to their revenue. Well, it's because everything's based on your superstars, okay? And all that stuff is built on the superstars. Superstar leaves, we're screwed. Over here, everything's based on process, okay? Every, everyone up here is interchangeable. They buy into the process. They buy into the vision. They buy into the tools, okay? It's about buying into the system. Name me an elite sports team Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Toronto Maple Leafs, anyone where the coach doesn't say buy into the system. Quick Toronto plug there. Okay, um, but, but this is what we need it to look like is everything is based on process because process is measurable. What's not measurable is superstars. The only predictable part about superstars is they're going to take credit. Okay, even if marketing did a fantastic job and nobody understands the fantastic jobs marketing, superstars are going to take the credit. We need the process. We need the measurement. Um, so let's talk about measurement for a second, okay? This is data-driven decision culture. Data-driven decisions. So a lot of the times what's happening with decisions is, hmm, wind, wind's kind of going that way. We should, we should invest in Facebook. Ooh, there, there, there's a new tool. We should, we should totally try out this new tool. Ooh, our results weren't great at that tool. My web provider says that we got a free tool over here. I should try this. Wow, this, okay, and I'm going to take four right-hand turns in a row, wind up right back where I am, because I don't understand digital, and I'm just listening to everyone else's advice. Spoiler alert, Ronald McDonald is going to recommend that you eat hamburgers for lunch. Make your own decision. You can't be listening to vendors and, 
everyone else about what decisions you make. You've got to understand digital and test this stuff out. Because long story short, every single organization in this room is somewhere on this scale. Okay? And this is data denial up here. Anyone who's saying, ah, I don't really understand digital, I, I promise, it's, it's just factual. You might be here. So organizations start with an active distrust of data and don't use it. All right? Level two, indifference. The company has no interest in whether data is collected or used. Did we make money last month? Yep. Cool. Don't change stuff. Data aware. Business is collecting data and may use it for monitoring, but doesn't base decisions on it. Hey, reps, are you entering stuff in the CRM? Great. Who's the top rep? Great. Well, I'm still round robining leads as if I don't know who my top rep is. Y you have the data, but you're not making decisions based on the data. You're literally losing money if you're round robining leads still and not sending them to your best leads, or sorry, best reps, stuff like that, just FYI. Uh, data informed. Managers use data selectively to aid decision making. That selectively is the key there. So we got a sales manager, we got a marketing manager that are both focused on their own goals. Marketing manager is gonna say, well, let's focus on quality. Sales manager is gonna say, focus on quantity. And that's where we would have someone selectively use data. Really, the GM has to sit their kids down and be like, listen, you're on the same team. We're gonna make a data-driven decision here and let's find a mix of quality and quantity. We're gonna find a single metric for what that is, maybe a sales accepted lead, and we're gonna measure those. Then finally, data-driven. Data plays a central role in as many decisions as possible with the organization. Very rare to get here, but that's where we gotta be shooting for. As in, when the problem comes up, your first answer, and this is gonna piss off everyone's ego in the room, I know, and that's okay, because we're all humans, but your first answer should be, I don't know. I don't know, let's look at the data, let's read the data, let's see what the data tells us, because data doesn't lie, our emotions lie to us, and if we're lying to ourselves with our emotions, of course everyone else is lying to us with their emotions. Maybe it's not maliciously, but it's just out of protection for their own egos and stuff like that. Don't believe me? Who in here has asked a sales rep, why didn't you hit target at the end of the month? If you were a human being who has like legitimate fears and stuff, what would you do there? You're gonna throw something under the bus. You're gonna throw the leads under the bus. You're gonna throw something under the, just whatever it is, something's going under the bus. And the people that put their ego aside throw themselves under the bus. And they go, honestly, I don't know. I, I tried. I can show you in my metrics that I tried. I, I need the help. And I can show you in my metrics. I'm getting people on the phone, but I'm just not converting them to the showroom or something like that. So we can use this data to find out exactly where we need to help each other without asking them, hey, where do you need help? Where do you need help? Because you know what kind of answer you're going to get if you ask someone on your team where they need help? Same answer you're going to get if you ask your kid what they want for supper. Candy. Okay, like they don't know the answer. They can't know the answer. It's your job to know the answer as managers and spoon feed them what they're missing. So that's that data-driven culture. And that's, uh, that's the management culture, okay, is data-driven decisions. This is the team culture that we need to be hiring, that we need to be coaching, that we need to be reinforcing the expectations of. And if they're not of this growth mindset that we're communicating from the very start, well, maybe they're not part of a growth company, and that is okay too. But fixed mindset does things like avoids challenges, says, I am the way I am. They ignore feedback. They fight feedback. If you're a sales coach, you've probably heard, hey, wh why don't you try this? I think maybe, yeah, but did you hear where I tried to, like, okay, yeah, of course I heard that. The yeah buts is the worst thing in coaching. It's just ego talk for, no, don't give me that advice. 
embrace the advice. Always look for a how-to guide on what you're doing wrong, and you're gonna get this growth mindset. And that's where we're embracing challenges. We have this attitude of fail forward. We learn from feedback. We're putting in more effort as opposed to less effort. Um, persists in the face of setbacks. That resilience. I mean, oh God, you guys know I love the Leafs. You know I hate Boston Bruins. But if there's one compliment I can give the Bruins, holy crap, are they resilient? You know, and that, that, that pains me to say. But they have that growth mindset, and that's the mindset that we need to really instill um, into the culture. So where is our team culture falling down right now? Um, there are these five dysfunctions of a team. So absence of trust. This happens a lot when, uh, let's, let's say things like lead response time. Get your information in the CRM. Every single manager I talk to has problems with their team doing that. It sucks to hear, but believe me, I've spoken with teams on the ground level. You know what the number one reason is? They think, man, that's, that's not gonna help me. It's gonna help my owner get a bigger cottage. It's gonna help my GM get a bigger bonus. Response time, I'll get to it when I get to it. Logging stuff in the CRM, that's for someone else. What you need to do is help the reps understand that CRM is to their benefit, that these administrative things are from their benefit. If we were shooting on a soccer net or a hockey net and that net kept moving around, we ain't gonna score too much, right? You need to know your numbers as an individual, all right? Um, we got fear of conflict, lack of commitment, avoidance of accountability, inattention to results. These are all the things that move around that target for you. Um, I don't wanna get too detailed into that. Let, let, let's actually talk about what it looks like to solve this, okay? So this is from the management perspective. Anyone who's asking myself, how do I build a BDC? I have an internet team right now, but they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing in terms of results, stuff like that. This is, this is where we gotta do it, okay? So we gotta recruit, hire, train, coach, and repeat. You need a machine running your business, okay? It can't be based on superstars. So culture is the new currency. What does that mean? There's so many dealerships out there. There's so many companies out there. What are you doing from a cultural perspective to attract the right people, show it's fun to work there, show that you're gonna develop their skills, show that you're gonna treat them like a fantastic manager or leader, okay? Hire, talk is cheap, assess people, stop interviewing people with questions like, tell me it's about a time when you crush your sales target. I promise you, I've interviewed so many salespeople, they are amazing at bullshit. So actually assess them, assess them, <laughs> seriously. like. Uh, assess them. There's a reason that the NFL and all these top prospect places do combines. What are you most confident in selling me? Awesome. Sell me that. Write down what they're good at in selling. Is it talking? Is it questioning? Is it objection handling? Is it aligning? Like, what is it? And then get them to sell something that you've never sold before. They can't prepare for that. Whatever they still do, whether it's talking, questioning, assessing, whatever, that's what they know about sales. And whatever they did in the first one that they didn't do in the second one, that's all they know about their product. So they'll be able to do that, but you, you're gonna need to teach them that. Okay, you're never gonna find that out just by asking fluffy questions to people. You really gotta assess their skills. Train. The average car dealer is spending something silly like $9,000 if you look at your costs to attract and hire people, and then they spend less than $1,500 on training them, and then 50% of their sales staff turn over in a year. Stop being surprised by that. Start putting part of that recruiting budget into the training side of things. Online training, self-serve training, invest in coaching, and that's where the coaching comes in. Remember, what do your kids wanna eat for supper? Candy, they don't know the answer. How could someone know what they don't know until you teach them? All right, and then finally, repeat. So we're gonna empower everyone, that's part of the culture. We're gonna promote the best, that's part of the culture. 
even if they don't want to go above and beyond be a manager, we're still going to prolong their tenure. That's part of a culture. But always be recruiting. We, we're not doing our job if we're not backfilling all the people that we're either planning to promote or planning to, you know, unfortunately leave the organization if they're not, not part of that growth mindset where they buy into the business. All right, so you know what? Uh, th this, is a lot of, this is a lot of detail here. So for, for recruiting and hiring, um, we talked about culture as the new currency, but the biggest actionable thing I want people to take away from this is staff referrals. Okay, staff referrals has a quicker time to hire. It has a better quality of hire. They have more productivity. Um, they have way better engagement. They like brand things on social media. Uh, and the hiring market is so competitive. Get a referral program in place. Anyone who's not paying employees like 500 bucks or something like that to find those referrals, I promise you, if you took a calculator to your budget, you would find you were spending way more than that amount of money on these other older ways of hiring, okay? Um, and we talked about the assess skills. Finally, um, in the interview process, stop selling the whole, you know, if, if you put your head down and work real hard, you make 100 grand. They want clear expectations. Seriously, they want clear expectations. Can you pick up your phone this many times a day? Can you answer a lead with this response time? After hours, can you try to get a good response time by putting a template in your phone? Can, you know, just ask them, put them to the test, okay? Um, so th those are the good actionable things for recruit and hire. Uh, for the training coach, you don't have to do training forever. Train them to 60%. Let them grow the rest of the way, okay? Uh, you gotta document the process and use video. Every time you put someone through a training process and you're not documenting it, especially with video, you're just wasting your own time. Quiz for digestion. Make little quizzes. There's free tools out there like Udemy where you can put these courses together yourself. Spend the time to build it once and just watch as you hit copy and paste on these high quality employees. Um, involve your team in the coaching. It's the best way to build culture and make your current team members kind of feel elevated you know, and, and a bigger part of the company and it's gonna show you who your next future managers are. Um, and then th this one right here is incredibly important. So I'm gonna talk to you a lot about growth mindset, pushing people's limits, stuff like that. This is one of the biggest important lessons that my father ever taught me. Separate your job performance from your personal worth. You absolutely need to do that. If, if we uh, have a shitty sales month and then we go beat up on ourselves and tell, tell ourselves, yeah, I deserve to have a shitty sales month because that's who I am. Guess what kind of month you're gonna have next month? You need to separate the skills and performance management from your personal value. Um, so, so the plays, I really wanted to skip through that because I promised people actionable, tactical stuff. So uh, this moving target, suffering performance, I, th I think it's really, really important that everyone just kind of understands the data-driven culture here. So um, a lot of times though, what prevents people from starting a data-driven culture is kind of similar to what John said about social media. They know they should do it, but where do I start? I look at all these stats, what matters? I see 11%, why does that matter? Well, 11% is across about 800 dealers in Canada, what the average is for converting a lead to a sale from a source of trade-in leads. Why does that matter? Because if you're not converting at 11%, don't friggin' blame the lead. And if you're converting above 11%, teach someone how to do it. But it's really important to actually understand that benchmarking information. And then from there, how do we actually get to the 11%? Of those leads, 30 to 40% should book. 60% should be contacted. 
of the appointments that come in, it depends on the quality of the sales reps, but 40 to 70% should be that close rate in the showroom. If you don't know your averages, you're kind of screwed, and we're gonna go into that in a second. So 23%, what could that conversion rate be? Credit leads. Again, so you know, how many people have seen the movie Glen Gary, Glen Ross? The leads are weak. No, you're fucking weak. Nobody's gonna be that, that harsh here. But yeah, put that coffee down. Um, but, but honestly, it's, it's really, really important here. And I promise I'm not just talking to the salespeople or the sales managers or the GMs in the room. When we're talking about marketing candy, what's this? This should be the conversion rate from unique impressions that you get to leads generated. So you can hand that off. And what's, what's happening a lot of the times right now is we're converting like two or 3% of our traffic into leads. And we think that the answer is to get more traffic. The answer is to fix the 2% and get it so it's converting 15%. How do you do that? Content, personalization, actually offer value on your website. If your website is just taking information, it's not giving anything other than, ah, we'll give you a call when we actually got time, guess what they're gonna use to do their research? Google, because it's easier to open a tab and type what's the value of my trade than it is to use your website or what's my credit or something like that, okay? We need to use the internet to help people along the purchase process. And then why does all that matter? Because it's an inspection point. If you don't understand the inspection points of your lead sources, you're going to be victim to your sales reps blaming the leads every single time. Why didn't you hit your numbers? The leads suck. They didn't like the values. The leads don't get back to us, all that stuff. Everyone's heard this, but it's bullshit. It is literally bullshit unless you understand your inspection points. And I'm not telling you what your inspection points are. Find out your own inspection points. Go to dealer 20 groups, hit up your LinkedIn contacts, ask other people in the same OEM, what are you converting for leads? But don't be this data ignorant organization over here that thinks to themselves, well, pretty sure we're doing good. <laughs> but digital doesn't work. You know, like you can't have these two beliefs at the same time. Um, uh, so we, we talked a lot about being kind of a leader and this is where I really want to break out and get tactical for the GMs and the owners in the room. And then we're going to talk to sales managers and we're going to talk marketing and sales professionals. We're going to speed through this, but GMs and owners, we got, we got to be a leader instead of a boss. Okay. So bosses take credit. Leaders give credit. We got to coach them. We got to develop people. We got to ask all, all those fun things. Um, but that, you know, that's probably stuff that we've heard before. Understanding the digital journey, we gotta take a couple seconds on this slide because what's happening right now is a lot of owners and GMs, if we think about the digital retail journey as a triathlon where we run and then we bike and then we swim, it's kind of ridiculous, but a lot of owners and GMs right now are picking up their bike and throwing it in the lake because it doesn't help them swim. <laughs> think about that for a second. That's not what bikes are supposed to do. Okay, so we need to understand digital retail. If any owners of GMs came here to say, I need to understand digital retail, this is your slide. You got three sections, knows about you. That's your toll gate, okay? Uh, what a toll gate is in a process, it's just like when, when we go to John's country there and we drive on all the highways, we gotta actually put something in the toll gate to get where we're going. So a lot of the times when we build a process, it's very tough to know, when are you in that stage of the process? When are you in that stage of the process? And if we ask 10 people, we got 10 different answers. A toll gate is the dollar you put in, okay? So someone doesn't know about you, they're definitely in the maximized eyes section. 
if you know about someone, you have that lead, then they're in the can be contacted section. And if they've said, yep, I have intent to buy, and PS, if they walk into your dealership, they have intent to buy, even if they're telling you I'm not interested, then we gotta get to maximizing the efficiency. But the, po the, the point of this slide is you gotta maximize eyes, maximize opportunity, and then maximize efficiency. And the, the throw your like in, uh, bike in the lake part, everyone knows about AutoTrader, Kijiji, Dealerator, all that stuff, that's what they do. Everyone knows about you know, uh, uh, digital retail, buying cars online. The industry's not quite there yet, but a lot of vendors want to push that, hey, buy cars online, right? And that's efficient. Nobody's talking about maximizing opportunity. All that traffic that's coming to your website and just walking off and you don't know who is shopping you. Imagine this in physical terms. I walk into your dealership, I say, hey, I was just wondering, you know, can I trust you and what's the value of my trade? What value could I get for financing? And you're like, oh, you're not ready to buy? Well. I mean, I, I got competitors down the road. Go research with them. Let me know when you're ready to buy. You would last for a week before getting fired. But that's what a lot of websites are doing right now, okay? Um, Data-driven decisions. This is a very, very important thing for the GMs going, yeah, okay, I like your fluffy stuff about data culture, Dan, but how do I actually do this? Oh, my God. Okay. This is an example of what you should be measuring on your web leads. We start here, sales reps. How many leads did they receive? How many leads did they respond to? Your goal should be clear, 100%. What was their average response time? How was that average response time different during after hours? How many leads were contacted with that? How was that contact rate compared to your goal? Uh, appointment set from contacted, appointment kept from set, um, appointment kept of percentage of leads because we want to see appointments to leads and then sales, sales to leads. We want to see the showroom close rate and then the overall effectiveness of everything from that lead source. What are we looking at there? That's a lot of information. So up here, leads received, well, that's our lead gen. As a GM and owner, I'm going to ask the marketing department, hey, what are you doing about my leads? Expectations here, average response time, don't be blaming your sales reps. What did you communicate to them for response time? What did you give them as tools and templates and stuff like that to actually execute on that response time? Over here, leads contacted. That's not the source of leads. That's your follow-up process. How many you actually contacted? We're not even talking about appointments. Now appointments, that's your contact quality. Once you're getting contact, your process works, great, but maybe your conversation on the phone isn't working, so contact quality. Appointment set, also contact quality. And then down here, uh, we, got the, uh, we got the showroom, you know? so. Uh, showroom, this is like 62% uh, of those leads when they come into the showroom are closing. Why does that matter? Because if we got a lead source that's giving you 15 showroom appointments and you're only closing one deal, the problem ain't the leads, the problem ain't your follow-up process, it's not anything to do with internet, the problem's in the showroom. So that's how we would look at these and actually identify the different broken processes within our dealership. Um, sales and marketing alignment, this is a really important one. So this is how sales and marketing used to get along. Marketing would set them up, sales would knock them down, okay? And now it's kind of the same, but what's happened is marketing takes people a lot further in the process. So 10 years ago in car sales, especially in the greater Toronto area, it was like, no, 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 don't bring the customer in unless they're interested. I don't want a low quality appointment. That is ridiculous for a sales manager to say. Would you rather have a customer in your showroom who's giving you an objection and you have the chance to handle the objection, or would you rather not have a customer in your showroom? It's a numbers game, sales. So what's happening here is we need to understand that nobody walks into the showroom without intent. 
Everyone walks into the showroom saying, I'm not interested, leave me alone, blah, blah, blah. At the start, that's just a knee-jerk reaction. If I called anyone here and said, hey, you weren't expecting my call, you're immediately trying to hang up on me, I know. <laughs> you're going to say not interested, I know. But if I was gonna offer you 40,000 bucks for 10,000 bucks, you'd be silly not to take my call. But everyone just says no before they even understand what it is we're offering. We need to understand that nobody takes that toll gate action of walking into a dealership without intent to buy. So sales managers, stop blaming your BDCs, your internet teams for booking low quality appointments because if they walked in the dealership, it's in your realm. It's in the showroom realm. It's no longer in the BDC realm or anything like that. And then finally, with everyone focusing on efficiency nowadays and GMs looking to reduce costs for owners, yes, reduce costs, but measure your, RO, your ROI on these things. It's the same reason you call before you dig. You, you, you dig up a service that's actually be in your lifeblood for this digital and the power's gonna go out, you know? So we can, long story short, that's the, that's the old phrase, we cut off the nose to spite our face. We're gonna save a couple hundred bucks, sure, but you're also maybe potentially gonna lose $8,000 in gross profit, which maybe we just weren't measuring, you know? Anyway, so that, that, that's my candy for the, um, uh, for the GMs, owners, stuff like that. Uh, on the marketing side of things, the biggest thing, just test your CX. Marketers are getting led around by vendors right now and all these massive promises and everything. Test, 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 the end. Um, oh geez. Yeah, perfect. All right, so marketing management. Who all likes lying to their doctors? Me. Um, that, that's essentially what we're doing when we measure all of our traffic without doing things like normalizing our data. We got two, two stores that we're comparing and we go, this store gets more leads. That doesn't matter. Who gets more leads per hundred unique website views? That matters. Um, and th and that, that's kind of like the answer to that normalizing data. Traffic without local IPs. If you were trying to measure foot traffic, would you try to measure all the employees of yours that walk through the front door? No. So identify the local IP addresses of your network and never count those towards your traffic. And then finally, adjust for seasonality. Running A-B tests is great. Running pilot programs is great. Running a pilot program for something in winter against a pilot program for something in spring, spoiler alert, the thing you run in spring is gonna win. And it's not because it's a better thing, it's because it's at a better time of year. So that's just really important to normalize your data for marketers. This is one of the most actionable things for any marketers in the room, okay? Consensus, buy-in. Uh, I promise, I empathize with you marketers, I really do. Not many people understand what you do. That's the reality. A lot of people don't understand the difference between a bounce rate and a basketball. Okay, no problem. But it's still your job to get marketing going for the company. And it's still your job to get the consensus and buy-in of everyone else in the company. So the number one thing that I hear from sales departments that are frustrated with their marketing departments is I had no say. I didn't have any buy-in in this decision. They just rolled down a new fancy digital tool and I don't know what to do with these leads. Um, so so what, can, what can we do with this as a marketer? Well, marketing to sales says, what, what's the biggest thing that marketing, do can, marketing can do to support you? You're not giving up your job, you're just asking for requirements. Which area is your team losing the most traction with what I'm already sending you? Okay, if you start to invite that feedback, believe me, you're gonna get whipped a lot less by people saying, oh, your leads suck. And then finally, could I get your feedback on how these might play out in the showroom? 
You know, because what the feeling is there is that marketers don't understand what goes on in the showroom. And you know what? There's, there's a little bit of truth to it. Probably just as much truth as when you guys believe that sales doesn't understand what marketing's all about. It's not a problem for us to not understand each other. It's a problem for us to compete with each other and not work with each other, okay? And that's where sales and marketing really needs to understand we're not competing, we need to get on the same team. And so for ownership, the other uh, consensus you need to buy, you know, let's say that you run a dealership that's been in your family's generation for years and years and years. The generation above you does not understand digital. Well, do you mind if I ask Mr. Owner, do you see digital as strategic or operational? Do you see marketing as strategic or operational? What does that tell you? Well, if they see it as strategic, you have a seat at the table. Expect a seat at the table. Expect to say things like, this is what you should do for your marketing campaign. If they say it's operational, you need to switch your questions to, what would you like to see from me? Okay, I'll give you that. Because otherwise, you're just going to run into an uphill battle every time. So it's about understanding what the owner actually wants from marketing. And then the next best question, what level of involvement would you like to have in this? Because someone who sees marketing as um, operational generally just wants the results. They don't necessarily want to be involved, and, and that's actually a pretty good situation to be in if you just do a really good job understanding the requirements. Um, someone who sees it as strategic is probably going to say, I want to be involved, and you might have less issues getting approval from them, but you might have, have to spend more time kind of getting their buy-in. Anyway, I cannot stress enough, marketers, the uh, really good thing you can do here is leverage your partners and manage your vendors. Anyone heard the term political capital before? <laughs> if anyone is managing their careers, you should know that term. Think of it as an emotional bank account with all the different people that you have. You do something good for them, make a $50 emotional deposit. You do something bad, uh, you take out a deposit. So um, marketers know uh, political capital very well and messengers get shot. So marketers, if you've tried to deliver the message, you're trying to get consensus from the sales team and the owners and, and stuff like that, but they're not doing it, leverage some of your vendors. Seriously, they usually have a lot of experience in this and who cares if they get shot? I'm just saying, like, l let's be real. I told you, I'm not here to, uh, uh, I'm really not good at social skills, but I'm great at process. And that's a resource that you have at your disposal. And a lot of the times we're just kind of too shy to pick up the phone or, or maybe we're just like, no, I don't want to deal with vendors. But use them as your team of virtual employees to get your administration and your buy-in done. Uh, and then finally, uh, the, the ROI calculators. Uh, if you're in marketing, you got to be calculating your value and proactively communicating it. Don't make your bosses and owners come say, hey, what value did you give me? you're already three months behind what they were expecting of you if they're asking that question, okay? Uh, and then finally, gas pedal what works. So uh, whatever the tactics are, you gotta do a little bit of them. Let's measure the success. Once we find out it's more than paying for itself, gas pedal. Um, it doesn't always have to be spending money. You got every single person here has a database. Do an email blast to your database that says, uh, hey, we are in desperate need of trades right now and we invest in digital tools, so we got this awesome tool that's gonna tell you exactly what your trade-in is worth. We don't want everyone's car, but if we give you a call, we wanna buy your car. Everyone's getting a call. Um, and then, uh, so from here, new financing options. Uh, you could offer up something like a free credit check, but whatever it is, remember at the very start when I said selling cars doesn't sell cars in 2019? Getting people in the showroom sells cars in 2019? And the only reason people get in the showroom is we give them value to turn into a lead. Otherwise, they just open that new Google tab. Uh, and then we got some paid stuff that, that's really basic. And I don't mean paid as in spend more money on it. I mean paid as in you're probably already spending money on it right now. 
and saying things like, oh man, I spent too much money on this for the results I get. Well, it's because you're doing the same thing as everyone else, or maybe advertising strategy is based on co-op dollars or something like that. But what we gotta be doing here is just stop throwing traffic at the wall with the same messaging as every dealer. Stop putting up Facebook campaigns that just have your pre-owned inventory. If you know that your traffic is only converting to leads at two to 3%, why, why are we trying to amplify two to 3%? Let's fix two to 3%. So we, could, we can use some of these tools to create a valuable to call to action. That's like, if you're on Facebook and we're all scrolling through these Canada Drives things, I mean, we should just take the time to do our own Canada Drives for our own little department. It's, it's super easy and super possible right now. Um, and then finally, paid or, or best in class stuff. So once you've done the free stuff, once you've done the paid stuff, I guarantee if you're doing it right, it's gonna provide you crazy ROI. Then you got your best in class stuff. So content marketing, putting out funny content, like what John's talking about right there. Uh, air campaign, so uh, actually getting unique traffic, not the traffic that's already coming to you from your referrals and that you're buying from Kijiji and Trader. I'm talking about unique traffic that you guys didn't have before. Um, but, but that's really the, the kind of playbook for the, uh, for the marketers there. And I can't stress enough, I know I'm speeding through all this tactical stuff. Every single bullet point, every single slide, every single picture you're seeing, happy to share with everyone. And if there's a picture of it, there's a downloadable resource for it. So that's what I meant about, I'm about the steak, not the sizzle. Anyone wants to see how to actually do this stuff, just send me an email, connect with me after, I'll send everyone the resources. Um, sales management, solve what matters. Remember we were talking about, oh, that's a, that's a, that's a classic swing. We don't want him. That doesn't matter. Uh, that person's girlfriend's social life was this. That doesn't matter. But on base percentage matters. Getting in the showroom matters. Everyone probably knows this stat, but four to five dealerships were uh, considered by the Canadian car buyer back in the 90s, and now it's 1.3. I realize you don't Sorry about that, did I hit something? Cool. I am always excited. I go from zero to 10. I'm coming in hot sometimes. Um, so anyway, that, that OBP, anyone who really likes Moneyball and is wondering what that OBP is, it's people standing in the showroom. And don't let your sales managers or sales reps say things like they weren't interested, 
well, they didn't like the value I gave them, blah, blah, blah. Like, your job isn't to debate with the customers, it's to relate with the customers. Um, and that's really where this comes in, the don't accept excuses. So when they say things like this, this is the, you know, asking your kids what they want to eat for supper and they answer candy. When they say I didn't like the values, that's not the real answer. What they meant is I failed to explain the values. When they, say, when they said uh, I'm not in market, no, what they really, or the customer wasn't in market, what they really meant was I didn't show them enough value for them right now. When they said the leads won't, won't respond, what they're really saying is I need guidance on follow-up. So when they make these excuses, do you go run those excuses up to the owner and the GM? Or do you actually coach them? And say, well, what does your follow-up process look like? On day one, how quick is that activity happening? On day three, how quick is that activity happening? So on and so forth. And down here, have you actually empowered them with a script? Have you let them write down their own version of the script or write down their own objection handles? Because not everyone is going to sell like you or you or you or you. We all have different styles. Okay, have we, have we actually given them the resources to make it their own? But bottom line, you can't, accept, you can't accept excuses, but you also can't say, just get out there and do better. We got to be a leader. We got to coach. All right, so we got to learn digital and embrace support. So again, this is, this, this is talking about um, actually getting together with the marketing department because, you know, a, an example for something like trade-ins is the sales reps go, well, um, you know, it, it took so long for me to provide them with a trade-in value. I had to run their appraisal, blah, 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 blah. Guess what? The marketing department could do all that right now. So why, why as salespeople are we trying to hold on to control of this archaic process when we could be handing it off to marketing and just dealing with these high qualified buyers instead of making our own high qualified buyers, okay? And then finally, data equals accountability. So that's why I'm saying don't actually accept those excuses. When the sales rep says those leads suck, no problem. Uh, quick, quick pause, uh, lawyers, why do lawyers ask questions? It's not to learn things. Not to do that either. <laughs> it is to take people from psychological point A to psychological point B. Lawyers only ask questions they already know the answer to to control the conversation. You ask any person who's good at sales who's controlling the conversation, and the answer is simple. Whoever asked the questions. If your sales rep's talking all the time, they ain't in control. If they're asking questions they know the answer to all the time, they're absolutely in control. And so this is where we're gonna ask the question, hey, what happened with those leads? You should already have all this information before you ever ask what happened with those leads. Because then they get to make their excuse. Then you get to come in with the mommy or daddy knowledge. Oh, I understand how you feel like that, but what it says in these numbers, and numbers don't lie, is that blah, 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 blah. So now, do you, do you mind if I ask, do you think it's possible that you could have done this if you had this tactic? Okay, cool, the expectation is this. There, now we had a coaching conversation about it. And it wasn't just, why didn't you do better? It's the end of the month, we didn't hit goal. Um, so anyway, that's, that, that's some sales manager candy. And then the sales professionals, this, this is really uh, where I wanna chat with everyone about because this is, this is where I'm passionate, you know? Um, improving the quality of life of sales reps. Everyone is in sales, whether or not you realize it. Marketing, you're all in sales. Remember we just talked about getting that consensus? You gotta sell your owners. You gotta sell your sales reps. You gotta sell your managers, you're in sales. Sales managers, obviously you're still in sales, but maybe not in the way you still think. You gotta sell your team on buying into your ideas. You gotta sell your team on the fact that they should actually listen to you for coaching and you're not just wagging your finger at them, stuff like that. And when it comes to the customers, what we need to do is have this 
paradigm shift in our mentality where selling cars does not sell cars in 2019. Helping people into the showroom sells cars in 2019 because that's our new on-base percentage. So we got to leave behind these old school phrases like, well, can I get you to? And instead use uh, things that put the customer in control. Like, would it make sense for you to? Because uh, who, who's all heard of all these closing tactics before? God, I hate those. Um, you know, things like, oh, well, I could sell an icebox to Eskimos. Guess what? They don't need it. You're just literally creating a bad stereotype for our profession by bragging about that. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, that, that's a different topic. He's, <laughs> JP's smarter than me. Um, but the, the point here is uh, we want to talk about the illusion of control. It's 2019. The illusion of control works. Choice close, that doesn't work. Drop close, that doesn't work. The illusion of control close works. And the illusion of control is where we acknowledge all the unlimited options that a customer has today. Okay, so as an example, if I'm calling you or setting up a sales meeting, you know how I'm gonna start that call? Why'd you take the call? Someone might be like, well, because you persisted. What do you mean, why'd I take the call? You're the sales rep. Well, sure, I know, but I, I realized you had an option to not take my call, you had an option to not book the call, you had an option to hang up on me, you had an option to not show up to the meeting. Like, why did you honestly show up for this meeting? The focus is on them. The focus is on, listen, if I'm wasting your time, I'll part ways right now, but I can probably do something pretty helpful for you. Um, and so that illusion of control is where we acknowledge all these options that the user has, and we educate, and we help them, and we say, you have this option, I know you see that, but have you considered this option? Have you considered the pros and cons? And we're not asking, would you be interested? We're asking, hmm, I work with a lot of clients who insert what they just said there, and I help them with key benefit. Do you mind if I ask, do you ever run into that? Perfect, that's actually what I help my clients with. I help them to, and then say what you wanna say. As opposed to, well, no, actually, the list price isn't what you'd ever get for it. What you'd get is the dealer price, and that's, you know, we gotta do our overhead, uh, we gotta recondition the car, all that stuff. And then the customer leaves, says they're not happy with the value. Were they not happy with the value, or were they not happy with how you related to the customer and explained the value? Because believe me, some other good sales rep is gonna explain that value in a way that relates to the customer and they're not gonna complain about the value. Um, so we have a, we have a financing thing, we have a new piece of inventory, we have a, we have a, we have a, we have a, it doesn't matter what you have. You have 20 problems that you could potentially solve for a customer. If you're gonna talk about those all day, might as well put a blindfold on and just keep pinging darts at a dartboard. But, what we can do is go, I noticed that you. I noticed that you took this action. I noticed that you filled out this online form. I noticed that you were on our website and you took this action, okay? Prospect knowledge beats product knowledge. If everyone online shopping is seeing this Nissan Sentra has this feature and this price and blah, 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 and they can get that from everywhere, and everywhere says, well, yeah, I'll give you a sales call, when can you come in? But you're the one sales rep that picks up the phone and goes, I'm not looking to sell you anything. In fact, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed with how the car industry works today, and that's why I was calling you. I, I wanted to be someone different for you. Someone's going to be like, whoa, like I, maybe I'm not ready to buy a car, maybe I don't like the dealership, whatever, but I like this person. And I'll at least tell the person, you know what, I'm not ready to buy a car right now, and you had great response time on those leads, but I'm okay for right now. You at least have contact. You at least have a conversation going. And now starts the online version of, oh, not ready to buy? No problem, I wasn't gonna ask you to buy. But let me ask, you just took this action with your trade-in, what about credit? 
do you know what your credit situation is? Oh, interesting. Well, I could actually help you with that. If, if you don't mind my asking, why don't you come in? I could have my F&I manager actually show you what rate you'd get approved for, but I can see your credit rating here because you use this tool, so I know you'd get approved. This is like your golden ticket. Just come on down, pick out whatever you want. I know you'd get approved. I'm not trying to sell you a car. I'm saying I can help you do your research. I know you would get this if you came into the showroom. Not I would get a sale, you would get this. And so that's where it's really, really important to focus on, and I know this is gonna sound harsh, but again, my social skills suck and my process is sound. Um, sales professionals, nobody cares what you want. Nobody cares. And the second you embrace that belief and go, what I want doesn't matter, the only thing that matters is why did you come into the dealership today? What need did you have? Well, I'm looking for a minivan. I'm looking for a Chrysler Pacifica. No, you're not. Why did you come in? Is it getting the kids to work? Is it that you want something that actually looks really good and you don't want to be the, the schlep around mom? Like, what is it? Like, tell me the real problem. It's like when I interview a million sales reps and ask, okay, why do you want this job? What's their answer? Money. Oh, well, I want the money. Yeah, I don't care about that. What do you want to do with the money? Is it that you want clubbing? Is it that you want a cottage? You want to take care of your family? Like, that's what I really want. Because what's happening as sales professionals is we're selling the drill. We're not selling the hole and you gotta sell the hole. Does anyone know what I mean by that? No, no, nobody cares about whether or not the drill is corded or cordless. People care where the fence is or where they gotta make the drill. If it's by an outlet or if it's not by an outlet, well, sales rep's gonna say, you need this. But what we're doing is as sales reps, we're going, uh, this drill has a battery pack and this drill has a cord and this drill has a blah, blah, blah. When really what we gotta say is, hey, what do you need the drill for? Oh, you gotta drill a hole, cool. Do you mind if I ask, where's the hole? Oh, cool, it's in the back. Uh, how far is that from your nearest outlet? Oh, okay, interesting. Well, based on that, it sounds like you need this feature. Just before I recommend something to you, do you mind if I ask, what material are you drilling through? Is it wood, is it steel, what is it? Oh, cool, based on that answer, well, what, what you really actually need is a drill that's gonna work at this power, okay? That, that is helping. That is the new selling in 2019. You're not telling them about the features. You're understanding the problem they're trying to solve. And then what you say about the features is the smallest part of the sale. You should understand so much by that point that someone is saying, hey, I'm ready to buy. Perfect, I was just about to ask you because we covered the whole thing. Um, anyway, so uh, financing offers. That's a good thing that everyone tries to uh, talk about, right? Well, what about just asking them if they know their credit rating? Because they're gonna give you one or two answers. Yes or no? Yes, perfect. Can I show you what rate you'd get? No, perfect. Can I help you figure that out? Come into the dealership, I got experts. You probably get to a point doing online research where you're like, lost and all the answers are general. I'm not trying to sell you a car. I was just hoping I could help you with your research, okay? Um, God, this is one of my favorite ones. Politeness does not equal persuasion. Who makes a lot of phone calls still today? Me, beyond a lot. Um, who makes a lot of personal phone calls though? Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, I, I can talk and I still don't wanna take a call. My fiance, will not pick up the phone. Like, not to save her life, not to set an appointment, not to take a call from her family, like, text her, or you're gonna assume she's dead. But, <laughs> my, uh, my point here is, a lot of the times, every human is going through all this fear of rejection, right? Especially your new reps who you just hired, and you're saying, hey, can you do this? And it's always the new reps that we put on the internet leads, right? So, that new rep is gonna be so afraid of getting hung up on and guess what they're gonna do? Hey, how are you today? 
What? I don't even know you. You don't care how I am. That's trying to build rapport, you know, wherever rapport is. Uh, 20 years ago, that's where rapport is. Um, credibility, there's so much choice out there. Everyone's got a friend that they're buying from and everyone's got a friend that they don't buy from because they know the friend so well, they know they're not going to give you the best price. Rapport in 2019 exists, but it's really diminishing. Credibility is what sells in 2019. Because let me ask you this, who's polite on the phone in 2019? Sales reps, that's it. That is it. If I pick up the phone and ask, how are you? What are you trying to sell me, buddy? If I pick up the phone, hey, sorry, sir, you weren't actually expecting my call, but I'm calling from Auto Verify. I was wondering, could I steal a quick second? Awesome, now let's take it to the car dealership world. Hey, Mr. Customer, listen, I know you weren't expecting my call, but it's Dan Liska calling from Finch Chrysler. I know you weren't expecting my call, but you had just come online and got a quick, uh, uh, quick trade-in value. I was wondering, could I steal a second from you? I don't care how you are. I'm saying, this is who I am. This is where I'm calling from. This is an action you took, and this is what I want to talk to you about. Can I have permission? Illusion of control. Okay, yes, you can have 60 seconds. Perfect. Well, remember that action you took? Now I'm going to ask you another question. Uh, do you mind if I ask, is that true? You actually have that car, a 2014 Chrysler 300 or something? Yes, perfect. That's why I called you so quick. We'd like to buy your car. I, I was just wondering if there was a time, maybe later this week or something, that you could come into the showroom. My manager would lo look it over and give you an offer. And honestly, I don't make this call too much. But really, when, when your trading league came in, my, my manager tapped me on the shoulder and said, we would sell your car immediately. He really wanted me to call you. So anyway, I know you weren't expecting my call. I know you weren't, or uh, I know you're just doing some online research, but we'd really like to buy your car. was wondering if you could come in. What am I selling there? Nothing. I'm trying to offer them an offer on their car. Because guess what? Guess what's important about that toll gate of they took an action? This is, this is where we're talking about sales rep excuses again. Oh, they weren't looking to buy a car. They, they were just curious what their trade-in was worth. Yeah? Is that, is that much fun for you, collecting trade-in reports? Nobody's doing that just for fun. They're doing it because they're somewhere on the car buying journey. And you need to know that if they're at the point of wondering what their trade-in is, they're going to tell you I'm not interested in buying a car. Why would they be interested in buying a car? Because they haven't figured out what their trade is worth. They don't even know what their financing is. So there's all these little stops on the journey to buying a car that don't change. And what's happening is they're all running a marathon right now, and we're all hanging out at the finish line going, hey, come to me, come to me, come to me. The best dealers at Digital are hanging out halfway before the race is done with a cup of water. They'll be like, hey, you thirsty? There you go. Now they like you before they've got to the finish line. And let me tell you something. If you teach someone how to box, when they go to step in the ring, they will buy gloves from you, period. Why in the, would they buy from anyone else? You can't buy trust. So anyone thinking that the customer's price shopping everyone nowadays, you're just connecting with them too late. There's something called the bond of joint discovery that happens in sales. This isn't auto sales, this is just sales knowledge. The bond of joint discovery is what happens when the buyer and the seller acknowledge the problem at the same time. So, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. If you don't understand digital, if you don't understand digital, if you don't understand digital, and I call you and help you understand a problem that you didn't know you had before, we have the bond of joint discovery. We have the bond that exists when I helped you understand that you had a problem you didn't think you had. And it's the same for buying a car. 
You had a trade-in report. I know you're not interested in buying a car. I was just hoping to help you with the very next step. And by the time they actually are ready to buy a car in two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is, guess who they want to buy from? Because why on earth would they waste their time to try to find someone else they can trust? When they know they can trust you, you just helped them and you weren't trying to sell them a car. Yes, you were. Um, so anyway, ho hopefully that makes sense. Uh, quick, quick little bit of the objection. I'm going to clear up here. Alrighty, so um, we're going to talk about objection handling for a second. Remember the choice close, stuff like that? And this is really where we'll, we'll kick off here because this is the most, most important thing for the sales reps right now because telling is not selling. And if telling was selling, everyone would be in sales, everyone would make a million dollars, it would be so easy. But um, selling is asking the questions. So as an example, customer doesn't have time. Well, it'll save you time to do this. That's not going to work. What will work is softening, confirming, aligning, and trial closing. Softening. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Of course you say that. I completely agree with you. I would be crazy to not think that. These are all different ways to soften up what we're about to say. Confirm. We're going to prove that we understand their concern so well that we're going to elaborate on it. So if the concern was, I saw a higher value somewhere, well, that doesn't surprise me at all. A lot of my clients say they found higher values on wherever they said they found it, Kijiji, AutoTrader, your website, whatever. Then we're gonna align. We're gonna do what lawyers do. We're gonna ask three questions that we already know the answer to in order to get them on our side. So that doesn't surprise me at all. A lot of my clients say they find higher prices on Kijiji or AutoTrader, something like that. But do you mind if I ask, when was the last time you sold something on Kijiji? Oh, interesting. Well, the reason I ask is also all those clients I work with, they told me that the list price is never actually what it's sold for. Have you ever run into that? Yeah? Cool. And, and it, it kind of takes a lot of time and frustration. Do you mind if I ask? Like, are you, do you got a lot of time to sell a car on your own? You got a lot of experience in that? Oh, no? Interesting. Well, and, and they actually want to buy a car from someone they can trust, not um, you know, run into someone that promises this and then gives them this, or maybe something goes wrong with the car, they want someone to take it back. I mean, do, do you mind if I ask, does that resonate with you at all? Oh, interesting. Well, so anyway, I, I know that um, you actually saw a higher value on Kijiji and you weren't thinking that maybe you wanted to trade your car to us, but, but it's totally up to you. Do you think there would actually be some value in coming in and exploring the values that I'm giving you now knowing what you did about that Kijiji thing? So it, it doesn't, doesn't matter whether it's Kijiji or whatever, but what matters is that you soften, confirm, align, and trial close instead of just going, no, actually what a trade-in value is is this. Because that's what happens. We just explain. We tell. We don't actually sell. Um, and uh, you know, other than that, the mindset over the skill set. We've talked about that. You can't be selling cars. You got to be helping people into the showroom. Uh, following a process. I'm, I'm going to shoot that over to the managers. And then finally, we got to arm ourselves with tools. So tools are your scripts. Tools are your email templates. Tools are your objection handle uh, scorecards. These are some incredibly high-performing email templates. There's two really important things here. Number one, and this changed my life, when I first heard that emails written at a college reading level are opened and replied to about 20% of the time compared to emails written at a grade six reading level or below, I can write smarter than this, but I don't because it costs me money. Okay, so, hey, just wanted to follow up on my recent email, but don't worry, I understand how busy you are. Didn't want my email to get lost in your spam. You just bubble it up and give them the subject line, okay? Um, but very, very high-performing trade-in leads, simple email templates, 
You also want to have text message templates too. If you're not connecting with the customer the way they want to be connected with, you're dead. That's an example of a very simple, personalized email template. The number one reason people aren't getting back to your emails right now, the crappy templates, not good templates. The templates that say, um, uh, they're not specific to a lead source. The, it's an immediate autoresponder that says, hey, we're very proud of our dealership. We'd really love to let you know about a lot of specials. <laughs> hey, Bill, I'm Dan from uh, Finch Chrysler. Thanks for coming online using our trade-in tool. Did you get the report okay? It's an email. I'm asking a question just to involve them. They, they might, might answer, they might not, but I sound like a real person. You have a 2014 Chrysler 300, right? If so, we'd like to buy it off you. Can we chat quickly? Thanks in advance. That is one of the highest performing email templates across over 800 dealerships in Canada. It's so simple, it's so personalized, there's no fluff. It's just credible and it talks about the action, okay? And then from there, and this is the very last thing I'm gonna land on because this is your home run, this is the freebie. Go to like useloom.com and get that tool for free because this has changed my life. You know how you can only send an email that big but you probably got that much to say? You know how nobody gener uh, actually clicks on and engages in emails? You know how everyone's telling you to do video? That's great, but what about for your web leads? Show them what they were doing online and respond with the video. Okay, instead of the call, instead of the email, uh, send the call, leave the voicemail. Hey, it's Dan, wanted to buy your trade. Listen, I, I know you're super busy. I'm gonna send you an email. Don't worry about calling me back. You know why? Nobody calls back voicemails. But what they do do is check their voicemail and then check their email. So let's follow that trail. I'm gonna leave you a voicemail, send you an email. On email, I'm gonna send you an email and that email's not an email, it's got a video. And that video says, uh, hey Mr. Customer, it's Dan Combe from Finch Chrysler. Listen, I know you weren't expecting my call, blah, blah, blah. Would really like to buy your car. P.S. I noticed when you were online that you were checking out this car right here. If you wanted, when you came in for your trade, I could have one available, but don't worry, I know you were probably just doing some online research. The car we're trying to sell is a PS. It doesn't matter compared to the problem that the person is trying to solve online when they're doing the research. Solve one problem they have, not the nine they don't, and everyone will buy from you, I promise. Um, and yeah, so that, that's, that's really where it ends, but if, if you guys could take away anything, please help people into the showroom and you will just sell cars. If you try to bring people into the showroom to sell cars, you ain't selling cars. They're going to who's ever helping them into the showroom. Um, yeah, so thank you very much, everyone. And finally, thank you, everyone.